Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Let's get the uh, the quasi-awkward stuff out of the way. Um, I ain't talking about that one thing, right? I think that anybody who knows me knows that I'm not going to talk about that. But um, I do believe that there's a significant number of people who believe me to be like the revolutionary spirit as always out here fighting, man. And he just, you know, you say what you think, no matter what. Nope, nope, nope. That's not me. Um, to be clear, I have never reported to you that that was me. Um, that is not me. Now, the reason I choose to bring this up in such a way is everybody got to make a trade every now and then, right? And so sometimes you wind up being confronted with moments of realization of the trades that you have made. Now, one thing that I've always tried to do, um, for those of you who have followed me for quite a while, is when I am biting my tongue for somewhat selfish reasons, I will absolutely tell you that. I will not tell you something that I do not believe to be true. Right. Um, but if I'm in a position <clears throat> where I'm compromised, then I'm going to tell you that I'm in a position where I'm compromised. And in this particular case, I am absolutely in a position uh, where I am compromised. Um, I'd also say I'm in a position where I don't even like fully understand what's going on here. Um, so. I can't do that. I simply cannot, right? Like my people is my people and I always be there with my people, right? Especially people I have like real relationships with. Like it's not just simply a matter of I work at the same place as you, right? Like that's my folk. I talk to my folk as this is going on, you know, like it's real in that way. But I knew where I was signing up to work when I signed up to work there. And I did that knowing that if ever such a situation like this were to arise, what the game was. Right. So at least at this very moment, this is what the game is. Um, is there like a degree, I suppose, of like cowardice? Somebody could argue that's at play here. I don't think I would use the word cowardice, but I could understand how somebody would come from such a perspective. Like I totally get that. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't do you no good from the sideline. No, sir, Bob. I don't do you no good from the sideline my man here talking about don't mess up the bag like yeah the bag is certainly a part of it right like i ain't gonna deny to you that the bag is a part of it but the other part is the platform right and so you wind up in these situations where you kind of got to figure out what's worth it right like what is for you worth rolling the dice and if you do roll the dice then what happens after that and this ain't even rolling the dice i know damn well what'll happen right and so you wind up doing like a certain level of calculus on it. And the reality of the situation is that sometimes you make deals and it's the deal that you make and it's the right deal to make, but you make a deal that puts you in a situation where you got to be real about the fact that at least on some level, somebody kind of gets to tell you what to do. And if you go into that with your eyes wide open, you know, you'd be frustrated as hell about it, but it's the deal you made. You know, figure out what the particulars of the deal are, as most deals are as you go very often. But I am not going to pretend like that ain't the deal I made. Right. So, like, I got people that's like jumping in my mentions and stuff and they talking about, uh, you know, so like if you don't do this then you ain't done it. Nah, nah, playboy. Let me tell you something you need to keep in mind. Um, this game working a different way than you think it does. You know, 
there's a bunch of stuff that people might be doing. People might be saying that you don't know anything about. Like I would caution you to be careful with any judgment that you have from a distance. Now, if you want to judge me because I make a decision that I ain't going to do nothing in this moment that is going to jeopardize my platform or that bag, you are more than welcome to do so. I do not necessarily blame you. And if I was in your position, there's a distinct possibility that I would be judgmental in the same way. And that's just what you're going to have to do. You know what I mean? Like, I think this is one thing that you kind of have to realize um, after a point with stuff is if you say you don't care what people think, then you just can't really care what people think. You got to make the call that you got to make, and then you roll with it from there. So on that level, this is a call that um, I have made, at least as of right now. It is 9-11 Eastern time on September the, the 13th. Yeah, September the 13th. That's what it is on this day. Maybe I'll holler at you a little bit later. Maybe it'll be in the memoirs. I don't know. Stop asking me about it. I can't tell you nothing. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let us move on here to your questions. What did you think of Coates' latest article? So um, the article is actually a chapter um from the book that he's got coming out soon called we were eight years in power um i actually have a um early copy of that that i still need to read i haven't had a chance to read it um however i don't know if i can talk about that article um and here is why i say that uh let me make sure let me get this this title exactly right to this um to this article i want to make sure i have this um yeah the article says donald trump is the first white president um and the article uh basically makes the argument that the basis of the trump presidency is racism and yeah i don't i don't ah yeah i'm not exactly sure if I can tell you what I think about that. Strange times, aren't they? Yeah, so I probably shouldn't touch that either. You are right. (laughs) No, I should not touch that. Let me see what else we got here. Like, Adam Williamson, what kind of moron are you, right? Did you just hear what I said to start this show? Like, maybe you sent this question in here before I had actually gone through and said anything about this. This fool put in here, how would you handle a national controversy regarding the criticism that you just... Okay, so Adam, you did send the question in before. Let me ask you this, right? Even if you had not sent the question in before, do you watch the news? Are you paying attention? Like, what do you think I'm going to tell you? Like, this is a serious question for you right now as you ask this, right? What do you think I'm going to tell you? Well, actually, I have a set of bullet points right here in PR crisis management. And this is exactly the way that I would handle this. How does anybody know how they would handle that, number one? Number two, what? what you... See, this is the thing about stupid questions, right? so much stupid questions this is what i figured out and this is a dangerous thing about like opening things up for questions and this is just something i figured out about people with questions right so yes i am open to questions right like i do this podcast 
I want you guys to ask me questions. That does not mean be nosy. You understand what I'm saying? You get that? So, like, if you were to go somewhere where somebody gave a speech or something like that, and then there's a question and answer after the speech, you're not going to be like, so, heard you just moved to New York. How's your dating life going? Because there's always somebody nosy that asks that, right? Like, I remember back in the day when I used to, like, really be active on my blog, and that's kind of like the core, the genesis of, like, you know, what I got going here. A lot of people that's out here, they still roll from back in the day. And I remember uh, this is when uh, Whitlock and Scoop was having any beef. And some dude I ain't really know just sent me an email. Matter of fact, what is your take on the Jason Whitlock-Scoop Jackson situation? What? Hey, dog, I don't know you. What are you talking about? Right? So, like, how would you? How would you? What? Like, come on, man. Don't be stupid. That's like, this is what I'm doing for you. Like, I'm trying to be helpful for you. Somebody says, do you have any question? That don't mean ask any question you have. Damn. Hey, Lance, get him up out of here. I don't know what that fool might do next. I was about to say appreciate the question, but I don't. Sorry if I lost my temper. What did you think of the season finale of the Black Civil War? As many of you know, I refer to Insecure as the Black Civil War, as it had a way to start off a civil war on the Internet anytime anybody would talk about Insecure as people projected all their issues onto the screen. And I'm not going to pretend as though I've never done that, right? But, like, one thing that anybody who knows me will tell you is that I really, 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 like, the second I feel like somebody's trying to manipulate me, it is all over, right? Like, that is just the thing about me. So if you want to know something about what it's like to date me, let me get that feeling that you're trying to manipulate me and see how that goes, right? Like, that I can tell you. Man, I watched that episode where uh, she had sent old, bu- uh, old buddy was at work and the homegirl came running recon. Man, if I find out about that, whoo-wee. Like, I ain't built for that. I'd be the first one to tell you I ain't built for that. So anyway, we get to the end of this year uh, episode of Insecure and like the ultimate moral. Of, I, I feel like I feel like we're being unfair in a way in our consistent refrain that everybody on the show is whack because everybody on the show is, in fact, whack. And it is possible to have a good television show um, with characters that are like ultimately unlikable except not necessarily so like Seinfeld is a classic example people bring up where all the characters are trash but they are not unlikable like Kramer is very likable George Costanza in all of his madness is very likable like all of them have some sort of likable quality I be searching hard to find the likable qualities over here on Insecure and it ain't happening like like I think Molly's attractive that's what I got for you right there. Like, there's there's her likable quality. I ain't really got one on the Issa. Not, not really there. I don't feel like I would ever want to hang out with that large dude. That's just not my crew. You know what I mean? That's just that's just that's just not really what I'm doing here. But 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 I did notice, man. They threw in a little plot device that I don't know necessarily how I feel about, which is. So, I mean, the dude's a lawyer, but the little rail dude, right? So they basically set Molly up with the chance to get something cracking with the regular dude 
who liked her so much, right? What a like tired cliche trope of television and movies, right? Like, girl, you need to get this regular dude a chance, right? That's always there. We have so, 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 so many like television shows and movies that are built around this notion. Um, and then, of course, in the end, Molly wind up playing dress up uh, for that dude with his messed up grill. And by the way, shout out to him for like, you know what, maybe that is like, you know how I talk about how like the ultimate display of white privilege is white people dancing because they like the, the beat is what I say the beat is. You know what I'm saying? Like you ain't really got to like be concerned with such things. Like maybe this is a sort of privilege that comes from being an elder bard sort of cat where you just like, yo, it don't matter if my grill messed up. Like I, like I, I do television and my grill's messed up, but it was like just really my bottom rope. That was messed up. My top row was passable, and I developed quite a set of techniques um, in order to conceal uh, my grill malfunctions. I've been working on it for a while. I think I got like four more months, and then my grill should be like all the way in tippy-top shape, right? Like that's what I'm going for. That's what we're working for, right? Okay. Um, anyway, this dude is out here on television, right? I'll be showing it, but with like the messed up grill. Like, you know, he, like, he's straight Mr. Rhythm of the Night, but he looking like he been on, you know, hitting that pipe. You know what I'm saying? So I've already forgotten what I was actually talking about. I got a little bit too caught up in trying to, you know, tell you about how I wouldn't be out there with my if, if I was gonna be an actor no less, I'd have been got my grill fixed. This is the first real job he had. Like to paraphrase, uh, you know, like to paraphrase a quote, MJG, you need to put a check with a check with a check. So anyway, Molly with the married dude with the jacked up grill. And once she did that, I'm just like, hey. I ain't even necessarily mad at you for deciding that this is the game that you want to play. I'm just trying to figure out what it is that you're trying to get out of this. Like that, that right there is where I am confused, right? So if you made this decision that you're going to rock with somebody that's in a relationship, okay, like that's the game you want to play. I mean, it's got its own set of rules, but if that's the game you want to play, okay, that's what it is. Problem is, man, um, if you expected something relationshipy for yourself, um, they still only got like 24 hours. That's it. It's hard to pull off. We got seven days. It's kind of hard to do. But anyway, old regular dude, uh, the little rail cat. Um, I feel like he seemed to be like a lawyer of some like real level of repute. Like he seemed like he had some paper. And I just don't understand if he got that paper, why he's still drinking that, uh, that yellow label Hennessy. Like I figured he would have stepped up to a little bit of a, of a, of a better like quality, um, of Hennessy. Like, I don't feel like, I don't feel like you offer a lady Hennessy. And that's not to say that ladies are not allowed to like Hennessy, right? Like it's not to say that there's something wrong with you. If you're a woman and you like Hennessy. However, I'm just not so sure, okay? I'm not positive how I would feel about, like, you look good, girl. You try to hit this henny. Like, I just, I just don't think a, I just don't think a henny as, like, that Drake. Like, I, I feel like when you roll up on somebody, like, on a woman, be like, yo, you try to sip this henny. She looking at you like, what you trying to do, dog? Right? Like, if we just go sit around here and drink Hitty, it's like it's only really two things for us to do, and I hope you don't think we about to fight. And, by the way, 
he ain't pour her no little bit of henny, right? That wasn't no no shot of henny. Like that was a pretty significant amount of henny. Now I don't think they ain't had no time to get to the bottom of the henny, but like that that was that's a lot of henny to be like like drinking at the job. I mean, they, 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 he definitely came with the, and I don't know if him coming with the Henny plan was like, this probably isn't going to happen. Because for a brief moment, a brief moment, Lil Rel was something that you only hear about. Who does not exist very much. You only hear about. And that is someone who has climbed out of the friend zone now i understand that friend zone over the course of time has become a bit of a loaded term and i know that some people believe when they hear the discussions of the friend zone that people who discuss being in the friend zone are operating from a position where they assume that they are entitled to something just because they have been nice to a woman and that is not how i grew up believing the friend zone to be right like when i hear people talk about the friend zone or if i talk about the friend zone myself what i am talking about is a situation where you get yourself in there with a woman and that woman likes you and you like that woman, except for the fact that woman likes your friendship and it's like stopping right there and you are trying to make it happen. And you keep thinking, if I take her to dinner four more times, I might get her to come around and she just doesn't see you that way. That is being in the friend zone as I understand it. Right. That is not something that is gender specific. That is something that can go either way, but that can happen. And I don't think that people understand where that situation is. And I think something that women often lose sight of, which is this presumption that a man is supposed to pay for things. Well, the friend zone can get to be very expensive. Right. Like that's that's the thing. The friend zone could get expensive. And the thing about the friend zone is the friend zone is not like undefeated, but the friend zone has a pretty incredible record, right? Like the friend zone stats, if you go back and do an audit, right? Friend zone, it, it, yeah, it's like, it's like a, like a save percentage for a great goalie. Well, it's more like fielding percentage if we're going to keep it real. Like that's, that's just. That's just what it is, right? Like, once you're there, chances are you're not getting out. Also, it has a little bit to do with the fact that, as I have found in times, that uh, winding up in the friend zone often has a lot to do with who the woman was previously dating or just dating. Like, a great way to wind up in the friend zone is to deal with a woman who has just gotten out of something and can't quite figure out where it is that she wants to go. But she does still like to go out to eat. And so, good company. You know what I'm saying? Like to go out to eat? You can easily wind up being that guy, right? So this dude, man, he was talking, you know, hitting her up, listening to her problems about work and everything else. And also, I'd like to give credit to Molly at least for understanding, right, that he wasn't that nice. She knew what time it was, right? Like I at least give her credit for acknowledging it in the end. She knew what time it was with that dude. But he was definitely mired in the friend zone, until they started drinking that henny, and I don't know if Molly just figured like she just wanted to give him an attaboy. Like I don't, I, I didn't really get a great gauge on like what her like ultimate plan was on that one because you know he had to be blowing her up. He had to. I figured by then he had given up. He had thrown his little game out there, he'd take it out a couple times by then. He's got to be like, yo, man, this just ain't going. Oh, it's going down. 
Didn't see that coming when I came to work. Ain't that something, right? So I do feel like to a degree that all of us, fellas, if you've ever been in a friend's only sort of situation, you feel good for that dude that, right, he managed to, he wanted more than he was getting. He got a little bit more, right? Like you, you feel happy for him. Like good for you, right? Apparently your persistence um, has paid off in some measure. Um, that being said, she's not playing dress up for you. You done gone to law school, all this stuff. She playing dress up with some dude with a messed up grill. That's got to be disheartening. I imagine somebody said that about me once or twice, but still. That's got to be a disheartening situation for the dude. Like, really, you go around and start asking dudes for stories about the time they got out to friend zone, man. It ain't that many of them. I mean, it's a couple here and there. It ain't that many of them. As I believe I told you on this podcast, though, I got out that friend zone one time. It is probably my greatest feat ever. Got out that friend zone one time. Ever tell you about the time I got out the friend zone? Anybody want to hear about the time I got out the friend zone? If you did not have not heard the story about me getting out the friend zone, you may find this to be a bit enjoyable. Okay. So I was in college. And so I had this job and I worked in this office and half the office was like scholarships and honors program. The other half of the office was academic probation. So basically like a little bit of everybody was coming into that office. And so by then, it's junior year, man. So, you know, I got a lot of freshman things coming in there. And I'm like, I'm like halfway grown. I'm the dude that knows what he's doing, man. So I had a perfect seat. I was the gatekeeper to the woman with the scholarship information. Oh, man. It was like stealing. Well, not stealing, but you know what I mean. It was easy money. A lot of easy money, though. So I'm there, and this girl that walked in, and I remember I had seen her the year before, but I had never really like stepped up to holler or nothing like that. Cause I'm not a go like across the room to holler at you type. And so I remember she had come in and I was like, yeah, can I help you? She's like, yeah, my dad called up here and said I should come to get on the scholarship waiting list. I'm like, sure. Hold on one second. So I go to the back and talk to the lady I work with. And I'm like, uh, this girl's out here saying that she's trying to get on the scholarship waiting list. She's like, we don't have a scholarship waiting list. I'm like, I know we don't have a scholarship waiting list, but I need you to look for this scholarship waiting list until I tell you we done looking for this scholarship waiting list. And then she went back there and I sat down, spit my little 19 year old game, find out she used to work at Old Navy, used to work at the Gap, started spinning a little game there, made it happen, got a phone number, called her once. She said she was going to call me back, never called me back. About a month, month and a half past, something like that. I see her around. By the time I get home, there's an answering machine message. Somebody, I was just wondering what she was up to. So I hit her back. We go out a couple of times. It seemed to be rolling. Now, it also seems to be clear is that when I hollered at her first, she kind of had somebody. And uh, that seemed to fizzle out, right? Like I'm telling you that thing about the friend zone having a lot to do with what just went on before, right? So we kicked it a whole bunch of times, man. And I can't lie, man. I was doing all kinds of things that I probably wouldn't do right now under the same circumstances. I go pick up from work because she's riding the mall, like like the mall, like fifteen minutes away. You ain't trying to have nobody walking down Ashby Street in the dark if you could be helpful. Come on now, gas was a lot cheaper back then too. So anyway, you know, I rolled up there to do that, and I remember one time she told me she was just like, "Yeah, you know, we're really good friends, and I really like the the friendship we have." and um, you know, I just really, you know, I just see us being really good friends. And I told her, I was like, look, I'm going to tell you, I don't think that's what this is, right? Like, I, I do not believe that this is what this is. I think this is something more, da, 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 all this stuff, but you ain't going to confess nobody or nothing, right? So I said that, man, and she was just, you know, she had her belief in what she thought it was, right? So 
like the next weekend, I was at the mall with my homies, and we walked past her job, and she says to me, she's like, yo, you know, you think I can get a ride home? I'm like, yeah, I can get a ride home. It's no thing. So she get in the car with me and two of my partners. And so as you recall, she said that we were good friends. I was there with my good friend. So I kicked it as I kick it with my good friends. All it took was that 15-minute ride home, and she realized, nah, 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 nah. I don't think friend is what I'm looking for here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, come on now. Fuck out of here. We ain't friends. You kidding me? <laughs> come on now. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I am. Or at the very least, that's not what I want to be. Like, I got friends. I don't need another one. She realized in that moment, nah, 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 friend wasn't the game she was going for. Man, I wound up with that woman about the better part of the next three years. Mm-mm, mm-mm. That's the thing about the friend zone. Once you realize you're in the friend zone, there's nothing keeping you there. <laughs> right? Like, you don't have to do that. You know that, right? You don't have to do that. Nah, man. I was just like, nope, we are not friends. You want to see me and my friends? Here's me and my friends. I was out there friend zone pretty quick. I think it took like, and she told me the next time we were on the phone, we were talking about, she was like, yeah, 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 you're right. We're not friends. She's like, yeah, you're my friend. But she's like, yeah, no, no, no. We are definitely not friends. Like, just friends. That's all it took. That's all it took. So anyway, it does seem like the little rail dude he didn't actually get out of the friend zone. It seemed like he got like a friend zone furlough. He going right back to the friend zone. He going to try to make that crack one more time. And it's going to be like, hey, so, you know, about that night, you know, it was it was a lot going on. Um, I was just, you know, stressed, you know, at the thing of the job and the thing of my parents. And I'm just afraid that, you know, I don't want to mess up what we have you know um and i think we've got a really good friendship and i don't i don't want to mess that up and it's just a matter of whether my dude got it in him to be like yeah no i'm good no i'm straight i will tell you this though in that situation um let's just say i hope he made a good impression because a good impression helps like in my um improbable climb out of the friend zone, um, not that impression. It wasn't it ain't go that far at that point. Um but that yeah. Either way, it helps if you make a good impression. Cause if you're in the friend zone and you make a bad one, regardless of what level the impression is on, right? If you make a bad one, oh no, 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 no. You going right back where you started, and then you're gonna get frustrated. Because it's only a matter of time before she started asking you for advice about what to do with these other dudes. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. How do you think that the drop of crime rate contributed to killing gangster rap? That made gangster rap less appealing to outsiders. So, yeah, I said this on the Internet the other day because Complex had done this thing about how Basically, Kanye selling more records than 50 when graduation and Curtis came out was the day that gangster rap died. And it's kind of an interesting thought because Kanye 
Kanye is not the first superstar rapper of that time that wasn't a gangster rapper. I mean, if you're going to be honest about this, for example, Nelly was in his own way. Like, Nelly sold a whole lot of records. Like, he was kind of a superstar. He didn't have to do it, like, as a gangster rapper. Eminem was not a gangster rapper. Like, I don't know necessarily if Graduation was, like, the death nail to gangster rap because Jeezy is the super gangster rapper, and he hits the scene in 2005, and I don't think he really stopped being, like, the gangster rapper in that way. Now, the thing I will say, though, so, like, the general aesthetic of gangster rap, as it was, as many of us grew up with it, like, just the idea that the basis of this is primarily being hardcore music is gone. It's not there. Like, there's some cats that's still out here. Like, Freddie Gibbs is a great example, man. But Freddie Gibbs, damn near my age, right? So, like, Freddie Gibbs still out here making, like, real live gangster rap music. How many people out here that are left are really making real live gangster rap music? Like, you just, you just stop, stop and think about that. Right, like not just cats who talk about selling dope every now and then, but like when you listen to that, like, yo, what this is is gangster rap, right? Like that is the way that you would title whatever it is. It is gangster rap. Like, how many cats can you think of that fit that description? Somebody here talking about Sugar Free. Sugar Free was making music twenty years ago, right? So yeah, you can bring some, yeah, you can bring some names, right? But like, gangster rap is not the driving scene as it was. And man, here says Vince Staples. I don't think I would describe Vince Staples as a gangster rapper. I don't even think I would describe Kevin Gates as a gangster rapper. Um, but so like, and I think about this more like as I'm in New York, and people talk about like the New York of like the Harlem that I live in is not the Harlem that they grew up in for whatever reasons, right? But there was a particular time that gave rise to gangster rap, like the rise of gangster rap is the late 80s and the early 90s. And even by the time you get to the late 90s, you get a lot of like Jay-Z, which is a lot of gangster rap and reminiscing about the late 80s and the early 90s, right? Like that's what you get at that point. This is not the America that we had then, right? And so if you look at what the crime rates were in the late 80s and the early 90s and look at what the crime rate is now, it becomes clear that we're just talking about different times. And those times and those settings are then, in fact, going to create different music. Like, that's the thing, you know, like what's going on in the world is ultimately going to affect what the music is. And so I think about like with me, I walk around, I have yet to wind up anywhere in New York City, where I walk around and feel like even that small air of not being safe, right? Like, I know that feeling in the air was like, oh, okay, like, I don't know I need to be around here. I'm never anywhere here where I feel that way, right? Like, that's some spots that I could probably go to, but I don't really need to necessarily. But it's, I don't feel like there's this, you know, this overwhelming feeling of the tension that comes from like what you had in the late eighties and early. And it's like, I, I don't feel that way. Like when I hear the aesthetics that people describe in that music, it's not just simply the poverty, it's the world that they're in. And I don't like feel it that way. Now there's cities that have always been that way. And that never changed. Like Baltimore would be a great example of that, but Baltimore ain't never really produced rappers in that way. But either way, these times are not going to produce the same kinds of music that those times did. I haven't really done like an accurate survey of really what's going on right now to combine what the factors of the world are and what the music is and how it ultimately proves to be a reflection of what the times are. But that music in those days was a reflection of those times. 
we can't expect these times to produce the same reflection. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. How long will Issa stay on that couch? Thank you for bringing that up. How did I forget about this? How she wind up in a situation where the only place that she feel like she can crash is on the couch or the jump off? And what in the world is the jump off thinking letting her crash on the couch? I do not understand that. And the biggest reason that I say I do not understand that is it doesn't appear that there's a plan. She just there until she figures it out. What? Somebody talk about he's not a jump off. What you mean? He absolutely was the jump off. Isn't that the dude that she said was the itch she needed to scratch? Remember that? Remember that time he showed up at her work? At her job? Right. So she's sleeping on his couch? What? It showed up at the door. Talking about I'm sleeping on the... Yeah, you... Come on, man. Come on. Like, she's been working that dude, and I ain't even got no sympathy for him because he knew what the deal was. This has been demonstrated to him. Right? I ain't got no, I ain't got no feel bad for him whatsoever. But she's going to be right there on that couch when we come back around. And I'm guessing the play on this is she's going to wind up on that couch, and she's going to be all depressed because she's going to wind up getting fired, and it's going to be like this crazy role reversal. Like, that's what that's going to be. These fools. Yeah, appreciate the question. Hey, Lance, get this Naveed dude out of here. All right, let me see what else we got here. It's turn off the lights by the world-class wrecking crew, The best, one of the best you-know-what-time-it-is club songs. See, I'm not really of a generation where uh, turn off the lights is a song that's played at the club. I don't know how old you think I am, uh, but I'm not there at that point. I see. I don't really have too many like I. I don't associate the club with you know it's going down because of this song, right? Like you might be able to combine a few hours of strong like game into okay. Now this song might get you to a place, but I don't really uh. I don't really think of. I I, I ain't really got one that way. Nah, nah, nah. Uh, nah. Sorry, I tried. Oh, let's try to keep this going. It's day been long. Uh, appreciate the question. Uh, yeah, so graduation turned 10 a few days ago. Do we tend to overrate that album a bit? So I went back and listened to graduation a few times this week because there are a lot of people that like whose opinions on music I really respect who believe that graduation is Kanye's best album. And I feel like graduation, I find it to be maybe the least interesting of all the Kanye albums. Um, and so I got on the wiki and did a little research on it. I did not realize this, that what Kanye was going for was were songs that would play better at shows. Like he was going for music that would sound good in stadiums. Like he wanted a big bombastic sort of sound. I don't know if I would say that this sound, the sound of graduation really counted as being bombastic. But I know that that's, that's what he was going for. So I went back and listened to it. One, I have to say that in retrospect, it's kind of refreshing like to go back through that one and not have to deal with like all the skits that you got in the album before. Um, there is also not a single song on here that I would consider to be whack, right? There's some I don't know 
like drunk and high girls, I don't think that was the greatest idea. There's one that we could get out of there. I say drunk and high girls would probably be that one. Um, he makes this interesting transition of kind of keeping the soul sound in as he's trying to move on to these other things, right? So you still have, um, I wonder, you still got the glory. Um, everything I am, I think, kind of fits in the same space too, right? Like you still, you're bringing that sound over. There's the disappointment that is homecoming. Because Homecoming was home, and home is maybe like a top seven Kanye track to me even still to this day. Homecoming does not do it for me in that way at all. So some people overrate graduation. I think it's probably one of those that's probably right at properly rated. There's just a bit of a variance in how it is that people feel about it. But, I mean, it's got jams, right? Like, Good Morning is dope. Uh... I like champion and don't love it. I think I like stronger and don't love it. Like that's the thing. Like the, like early, it's a lot of like, don't love. I, 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 I do dig good life a lot. Like the good life. Can't tell me nothing. Barry bond stretch. I think is a strong one. Drunk and high girls. I can do without flashing lights. Uh, everything I am. I have gotten kind of bored. I admit by this point with like Kanye and that's everything I am is his equivalent of like the Tupac only God can judge me, which is basically, so what if I'm an asshole? And, you know, not there. The glory I rock with and Big Brother, which is very interesting to listen to now, given everything. That was like one I really locked in on again after everything that's gone on with Kanye and uh, Jay. I think Big Brother is an interesting listen because we do forget that Kanye has been like, Jay done big time Tim a few times. Like, more than a few times. All right. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. What era of music was best for club music? Now, this is a tricky question to ask me because they really, I would only be, like, be able to properly give you the answer. The era of the music that was played in the era when I went to clubs, which really wasn't a very long time. I guess that would be like, uh, like, it's like, it's like 97, even 97 is the clubs I could get into at 97. Um, so like 97 really to like, I guess, Oh five is about as far as I would push that out there and see, that was an interesting time for club music. Cause that's when that crop started getting going, right? Like when the no limit, the cash money was out there. And then you kind of get that transition into the little John where it was a totally different sort of club situation because like what had the club jumping was also stuff that like dudes could get into without compromise. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't one of those, I'm out here because they out here sort of things, right? Like, even, even like Booty Shake, right? Like, I guess Booty Shake got his sound to a degree, man. But we out there for Booty Shake because they out there for Booty Shake. But the little John, man, that, everybody had a little something they could get to on that. It was mid-tempo. Therefore, everybody could keep up with what was going on. There was enough stuff moving fast that the ladies could do whatever it is that they wanted to do. It was right there perfect. Then we had a nice little run at dance hall that was going on there. Like, it was all right. It was all right. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. I'm going to try to give y'all at least one more. What the hell is the infatuation with Bo Daggers? I don't think it's really, you know, because this thing came out with Silicon Valley. Some people trying to put it far. Basically, basically they're trying to put uh, vending machines in these buildings, in these neighborhoods, so that the pioneers ain't got to go to the bodega. Now, the thing for me about bodegas and similarly oriented stores, um, you know, that's really like I'm my only experience really with a bunch of those in New York because I live in the kind of places like you got corner stores, but it's not the same thing as a bodega. Um, 
it's always such a fascinating mass of humanity that's there. Like, I'm not one of those people that's getting into, like, the economic function of the bodega and how the guy that worked behind the register in the bodega asked you if he was doing your homework and keep you on the straight and narrow and all that stuff. I ain't even really tripping on that. My thing is this. If you, especially in a city like New York, where you don't have to go very far to get anything, if you're not willing to come out of your building and walk to the corner to get something, it is not because it is too inconvenient. Now, maybe I'll have a different attitude about this when the winter comes, right? Totally possible. But it's not simply a matter of convenience because you don't want to deal with the people, man. Like every now and then I get out here because I don't really see that many pioneers uh, very often, right? And so um, I don't really – I saw them out the other night, man. I don't know how you can live in this neighborhood and be strolling through it like they do, man. Hard look on their face, powering through. <laughs> like, come on, homie, you live here now. Like, I know you're not here by accident. Ain't no accidental reason for you to be over here. You live here now. Slow down. Chill out. Ain't nobody about to do nothing to you. And I know they're not about to do nothing to you because they're not about to do nothing to me. And they will do something to me way before they do anything to you. Because if they do something to you, the police going to show up. Just chill out. Yeah, New York, I mean, you don't have to go far to get these things. You know what I mean? You don't have to do that. Um, but the bodega often has, like, some level of hilarity. That's the one thing. So I think it's just for a lot of people, just kind of part of the charm of the city. It's a fixture in that way. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. We try to do this thing here once a week. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, man. Remember, if you miss anything live, check out the uh, Evening Jones podcast. Subscribe at the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. You can also find us at the Google Play Store. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take it easy.